You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we take another look at a modern adaptation of a 60s TV spy classic that features a little bit of an Ian Fleming influence. It's 2015's The Man from U.N.C.L.E. The name's Bond. James Bond. Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bondzilla Podcast. I am Nick. I'm Will. And uh, we're back for more uh, Bond-adjacent fun. You didn't see that, but did you like that little, like, I'm, I'm drinking water right now? Yeah. And I cut it real close. You did, before I, like, yeah. yeah. before you, you you cued me in. Yeah. I was like, it was, it was like, ladies and gentlemen, it was like slurp while you said your name, yeah. and then a gulp right as you said and. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. quality. That's quality. how you do radio, and you wouldn't have even have known. That's how silent water is. Yeah. <laughs> the silence. Will of did water. a good job on the water. Yeah. <laughs> but we're here for another Bond adjacent episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into the today's episode, uh, we do. I uh, I just don't want to forget this again because both of our January episodes we yeah. did forget about our good friend. Of the podcast, he's definitely not a friend of the podcast. But, uh, Harrison Ford. We, yes, we forgot our Harrison Ford roles for both our man Flint and for Mothra. So yeah, and now since Harrison Ford is you know back, truly back in the in in the, I was going to say back in the Ford <laughs> in the fold because it wasn't, didn't news just come out that he's definitely going to be Indiana Jones again? Was there any doubt? Like, no, there really wasn't. Indiana Jones is his favorite character. That's like, true. any chance, like, he gets a... I mean, and, and also, if he's going to be in, like, animated dog movies, yeah. both movies that are about animated dogs and a movie where the dog is animated for some reason, because he's been in both at this point, because yeah. he was in Secret Life of Pets 2, mm-hmm. um... Yeah, I mean, he's got to, like, how is he going to say no right. to Indiana Jones? I mean, it's going to be money, too. But yeah. like, Do you like, think there's going to be an animated dog in Indiana Jones? Mm, no. Like, he's like, that was the whole problem with the first one, is, like, it was Shia, it should have just been an animated <laughs> dog. So this is, like, this movie that's coming out is more of, like, the test reel for that? Is, is that... <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> let's just cast Harrison Ford in these movies. Uh, well, I don't know. All right, so what? Uh, there was our man Flint and Mothra, and, and Mothra, uh, and our man Flint. Um, he, well, I guess there was like there, there was like the the president. Well, no, the president is LBJ. Yeah, but do they say that? Yes. Well, why can't Harrison Ford just play him? <laughs> See, my thing is, I LBJ. I have I have Harrison Ford as we have double eight and a half. He's the Felix to 008. Like he's he's the Felix right. to 008. And I feel like that's too many characters removed, though. Like that's why no, he, he's just like. I, otherwise, I just thought he was going to be like another patron at that French. Bar, I think like at, enjoying the Bully base. I, I know that there is a sequel, but he should be like the villain they tease for the sequel. Yeah, like he is. Oh my! Well, I guess I'm I'm already going against what I just said because it's too it's too, a character too removed. But he's. His uh, um, Derek Flint. Yeah, he's his uh, Blofeld. Yeah, like that's, <laughs> that's villain Harrison Ford is not very common. I, like he definitely has his villainous roles, yeah. but he's not like he hasn't really done too many of those. So it would always be interesting. How many? If uh, what? 
the the one I can think of, I forget the. It's like the one where he takes his family to like the jungle, and he's like the main character, but he's kind of this whole angle is like he's getting more like crazy right. over the course of the movie. Oh, but but not really. Like so, it's more of like a shining type yeah. villain, yeah. not really a. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess he's never really been the villain. Um. Oh, but like I mean, if he can't be the president of America, he should just be Harrison Ford. Meaning, he should just be the president of Rosilia. Yeah. Uh, because, oh, yeah, because yeah. that's like an American. Yeah, the the country. only other one I thought of for that one. I mean, the president of Brasilia is like definitely like up there, but I also thought he could be like the owner of the theater that like you know that uh, this guy yeah that Nelson is renting out. Yeah, that's and then, true. Like, and then they, like another thing that like even he's kind of annoyed by like like how crazy Nelson's getting. He's like, I'm taking away your lease on this theater. Right, right. He's like, you can't. You know, there's a giant bug about to attack, so we can't. You know, it's bad for business. Yeah. Like we don't want our theater name being tied to this yeah, national exactly. tragedy. Yep. Um. So yeah, that works. Uh. All right. Good. All right. So we won't forget about our good friend Harrison. No, we Ford. will definitely our uh, good friend, not our good friend Harrison Ford. I'm sure if we told Harrison Ford, he'd just he'd shrug. listen. He he he'd hear us. He'd shrug us off. But yeah. he'd Probably like well, that's what I mean. He would hear that we said it. Yeah. <laughs> That's as and best then, as but, you can But get. maybe then he secretly listens to one episode. Can you episode. imagine, like, you tell Harrison Ford's, like, hey, man, we do a, a Bond, uh, James Bond Godzilla podcast where every episode we talk about what character you would play yeah. in the episode. And it happens, and then you just say, like, it, most of the time it's, like, the president or, yeah. like, the pilot or something. And then and then he's like, ah, and then whatever. And then, like, late at night, it's just, it's like an earworm digging in his brain, just like, like well, what a podcast. What episode should I listen yeah, to? Yeah, what's, what's a podcast? Well, we, we, did do, we do do an episode about him, but will you be so vain? I don't yeah. know if he would listen. He'd want to listen about himself. Oh, no, maybe that's how we get it. It's like, and, and one episode is actually about uh, clear and present da- danger. So then he's like really thinking about it. He's like, well, maybe I'll just listen to that one. Maybe yeah. I'll just, all right, all right. What else do I have to say about me? Well, <laughs> it's just keeping him up right. at night. He well, can't. yes. Um, oh, also, because this is a Bond episode, so we probably should mention it is you know just because i don't know how much we're gonna get out of it going in the future but super bowl uh bond trailer, yeah. yeah oh i thought you were gonna mention the mission mission impossible casting no no our what? favorite our favorite ass oh i ba- guess so yeah, yeah actually now that we're talking about clear and in danger we might we might as, yeah we might as well uh yeah mention uh, that. maybe oh may, ah, damn does that mean a news episode needs to come out this week? Yeah, well, it's also because I mean there was also the Empire reveal, yeah, of the Bond plot, the Bond plot, huh. and stuff that we never. Okay, really all right. About. Well, maybe we'll talk about that. But I have already mentioned the Super Bowl spot. Yeah, I'll mention that because there's not really too much to say about it. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where it's one of those Super Bowl spots that's very similar to like the trailer, just yeah. kind of a little bit more intrigue. Yeah, like, like I did like the opening moment of that. There's where, a there's a, a super jet. Yeah. They're in a jet. Or it's like, you know how to fly this? Have you ever yeah. flown this thing? No. It's like a little cute little moment. And then like, it's it like, seems like, like there's that. A... Rami Malek shoots through some ice Again. at one point. We still uh, we know a name for the character. This I is how now. you know, though, that like I follow trailers too much because like in the trail in the last trailer, he's just standing on the ice, pointing the gun at the ice. And in this trailer, he actually shoots the ice. Yeah. And I'm the only one who probably would know that. Yeah. <laughs> like, catch little things I mean, things it was like, like you know, I was it was a little surprising. Just because it's not traditionally like a place for the Bond stuff, but it also is, you know, the rare in this modern age Bond summer release. So you yeah, know, it's kind of coming soon. We're yeah. getting close. Also, right. this this Super Bowl just seemed kind of like a just throw things at it movie wise. There really wasn't a hey like hey listen, 
Arrival got referenced. Yeah, that's true. That was probably the best, like honestly, movie related. You, like, what about thing. Charlie Day and the Wonder Woman little thing? That that was funny. That 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 was funny bit. But I, I do think like the Arrival reference in the Walmart commercial was probably yeah. It's just like of all the movies, the, 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 the funniest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you right. know what movie wasn't referenced in that Walmart commercial? The movie we're talking about today. Oh snap! Um, so we're going to be discussing the spy franchise, quote unquote. Uh, the Man from Uncle. Uh, mm-hmm. So this will be similar in concept to our Mission Impossible episode. We're going to start off talking about the development and the TV series, the 60s TV series of Man from Uncle. We'll transition into the production of the film version of Man from Uncle, and then we'll talk about the movie, The Man from Uncle, from 2015. So here's what I know about The Man from Uncle going into this not this movie because i had seen this movie before yes but like when this popped up in general back that it was going to be a movie yeah uh the most i knew about it is that my dad watched it Mm -hmm. uh and there were some reruns on our tv land ish channel yeah and uh oh and then also the uh gun that megatron turns into in the original 80s uh or the original uh, cart- uh animated cartoon for transformers is the same gun uh from man from uncle okay so that that's as much as I- <laughs> yeah <laughs> little trivia fact for well, all you guys um i'm gonna school you a little bit more on the man from uncle which uh we're talking about so we're gonna talk about the 2015 movie mm-hmm. uh, but we're gonna step back and talk some about the tv series because spoiler alert it was, it was based on a TV it was show. Ba- based on a TV show uh, from 1964. So we're going to step back in time. All we, we always have one foot back in the 60s mm-hmm. all the time. Indeed. I mean, this is like where our stuff started up. Um, so uh, we begin in early 1964. Um, a man named Norman Felton, who is a... Uh, Basically, he's kind of in the world of television at this point, um, had been uh, kind of a director for NBC on their New York stuff, on their New York stage um, for certain variety shows, certain sketch shows that NBC had done. And he had kind of been moving up the ranks to develop an original TV series for NBC. And Norman Felton um, basically just gets very inspired by the original two James Bond movies. Uh, which at this point is, you know, Dr. No and From Russia With Love, Goldfinger is in development at this time. And he sees great potential in adapting that kind of spy idea, uh, that spy world into television series. Because this is like Man From U.N.C.L.E. is essentially the first of these series and kind of stuff like Get Smart and Mission Impossible kind of come out of what man from uncle begins so at this point there's not really a lot of well a lot of tv is still westerns and sitcoms nothing really in that spy genre but norman uh norman felton sees that potential Mm. but he still needs to kind of come up with a more specific idea for it obviously like the general idea of being you know having a spy show and again like kind of the mission of the week and the travel that kind of is in there but he kind of needs to fill in the details a little bit so he's like well why don't I just go to the guy who's started all this spy craze? So Felton contacts Ian Fleming mm. with the proposition that I've enjoyed the Bond works. I think this is something that could work for television. Why don't we kind of create a new original thing we can put your name on, basically. It's kind of get that, you know, kind of sweeten the deal with the NBC executives that are kind of looking at him as like, hey, here's, here's your opportunity to make an idea. 
Now, if we go back to Fleming, obviously, remember, Fleming is in this, you know, in this kind of mindset that he kind of wants that fame and wants, you know, that notoriety. And he sees this offer as like, well, this is kind of a thing where I can expand my reach, right? So it's like I have Ian Fleming spawn, but now I can have my name on another thing. And now it's like I am someone who's, in, you know, influencing more pop culture and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he jumps at this opportunity and actually flies from London to New York to meet with Norman Felton. Now, the thing about this, and I tried to find as much as I could, the specific details of what Fleming actually contributed to Man From U.N.C.L.E. is has really been nebulous since that meeting. Um, there really doesn't seem to be any notes or any real... Um, like concrete ideas. Mm-hmm. The the only thing we can confirm, um, the only thing that we know a hundred percent is true, is that Ian Fleming came up with the name uh, Napoleon Zolo, mm-hmm. and also came up with another character called April Dancer. Okay, and the thing very about- Fleming sounding name. Yes. So if I if I um, say so now the April Dancer character was developed as initial partner for possibly or another official character for the series that kind of got dropped to the wayside but that character would appear again in the later Man from Uncle spin-off Girl from Uncle uh, so that kind of April Dancer character was always there but the Napoleon solo character um it kind of transitioned as Fleming we do also have a little bit of notes um from uh, if you zoom in on one of the Man from Uncle TV series DVD bonus features, you can see a little bit of a note that basically the original notes of Fleming is that he kind of wanted to make initially something closer to his Bond book character, just kind of more the more normal dude kind of thrown into these situations and kind of how he you know how it affects him. Mm. Uh, but that kind of transitions into being a little bit more of a fun, um, the fun kind of Bond esque kind of adventure and and the cool personality of Solo, which is you know his defining trait. Which you can also kind of attribute to kind of Fleming's version of cool and Fleming's herself. So whether Fleming came up with that aspect of the character, if that was more Felton's kind of push, it, again, it's just kind of nebulous. But what we do know is Fleming eventually drops out of the series. Because originally, as it's pitched, the, Flem- the series is going to be called either Ian Fleming's Solo or Ian Fleming's Mr. Solo. <laughs> Could you imagine? Solo, an Ian Fleming story. Exactly. I was about to make that exact same show. But it's just like Solo. It's like, you know, this is pre-1977. Nobody has a concept of Solo as, as a right, name. Right. So it's going to be Ian Fleming's Solo, just like it's Ian Fleming's James Bond. But uh, as we get closer to the actual production of the series, Fleming does drop out. And there are basically three reasons that this kind of occurs and you know, it's kind of three stories are always kind of put out of like why this, why he ended up dropping out. I feel like it's a combination of all three of these things. Number one story that gets thrown around is his health. Uh, this is again, if we're kind of in where we are in our bond timeline, Fleming has had his heart attack and he's had that really rough trial with uh, Kevin McClory over the Thunderball rights, which kind of deteriorated his health. He did travel to New York. And, you know, that kind of traveling takes a lot of kind of take a lot out of you, of course, mm-hmm. especially if you're not, you know, 100 percent. So there was some things about the uh, health that kind of kind of contributed to Fleming taking a little bit of a step back from that. Um, another thing that happened, and this is kind of a combination of two, the next two things is that the Bond producers of uh, Harry Saltzman and Cubby Broccoli. Right. 
felt that it was going to be a bad idea if Fleming attached his name to another spy thing. They thought it was kind of kind of dilute. Like, hey, we we have the Ian Fleming stuff, and now oh, Ian Fleming is kind of right, more right, out right. there. Then people can say, well, I, I don't want to see Ian Fleming's Bond. There's a new Ian Fleming thing on TV. And right. I can just stay at home at that. Okay. All right. Interesting. And kind of the the thing that brings it all together in terms of that Fleming dropout is that the producers of Bond uh, put out a press release for Goldfinger. And within that press release, obviously, they named the cast. And within the cast list... On Goldfinger, there's a character named Mr. Solo, which is, in Goldfinger, he's the gangster that refuses Goldfinger's offer. He's like Mr. Solo, and even uh, um, Goldfinger mentions it's my name. So now Felton is kind of panicking because, like, they could say that, like, oh, we had the Solo name first, Mm -hmm. and, like, is that going to do a lawsuit? And then, obviously, um, you know, Ian Fleming's in the middle of this. He doesn't want to get involved in another lawsuit. He knows that Cubby Broccoli and, and Saltzman are already not happy with this arrangement. So basically kind of how it works is, is Fleming, Cubby Broccoli, Harry Saltzman, and uh, Felton all come up with this agreement that the Napoleon solo name can still be used by the uh, man, uh, which is now called the Man from Uncle series. It's officially changed because... The deal is that they can use the name Napoleon Solo, but they can't name the series Solo. Mm. They cannot use Ian Fleming's name, and they can't name the series Solo. Uh, so basically, Felton, you know, lets Fleming go from the uh, proceedings, and again, hasn't uh, Felton was never really out there, possibly because of this kind of lawsuit thing, kind of hanging over it, possibly. Um, or just kind of his own interest in you know preserving his own series. Never really got into how much Fleming contributed, but it is noted that Fleming did do more than a little bit of work on the Man from Uncle series. So it is still kind of that Ian Fleming connection. Um, so instead, uh, Fleming or sorry, instead Felton brings on uh, a uh, TV writer named Sam Rolfe, who was known for the Western. Um, have gone will travel, which was a big success for CBS. Uh, eventually, he transitions over to NBC to help develop this Napoleon solo character, which eventually becomes the new title of the series, The Man from Uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Rolfe is the one who comes up with the uncle name. His original intention for the uncle name uh, is it to be a nebulous. That it's like one of those acronyms that not really an acronym, right? Uh, eventually, because he wanted to kind of do it to come up with Uncle Sam. Or, or okay. kind of the UN, something like that, like kind of a United Nations type of deal. All right, so uh, something that like uh, subconsciously triggers familiarity, but like is nebulous enough where you know it doesn't really stand for yeah. anything. It just kind of like uh, fits comfortably in in your. Yeah. It, it, it flies off the tongue easily. Right. So the idea is like it's just like yeah, that's the the man from Uncle. It's easy to say, kind of evokes like you know like Uncle Sam or or the UN, kind of a United Nations type of deal. But uh, NBC and then uh, MGM Television, who's helping to produce the series as well, they both have this kind of trepidation that even just to use, even if it's not just the letters UN, using UN without kind of being specific if it's something different oh, that's uh, funny. Could, could trigger something. Uh-huh. Uh, so, Which is funny, because, like even though that was kind of the intention, yeah. is that it would. <laughs> so eventually they come up with the, uh, the Rolf and Felton come up with the acronym being United Network Command for Law and uh, Enforcement. So that's kind of where the uncle name comes from. So now um, Rolf is on board and they're developing this series about this character named Napoleon Solo. 
Uh, so they basically kind of, essentially, they kind of come up with, you know, this kind of Bond but not Bond type of idea that he has, like, Napoleon Solo's part of this group. He's facing off this, this against this, um, this organization called Thrush, um, which, uh, you know, there was some worry, was it, was it going to be too close to Spectre? Um, but, you know, they just kind of thought, well, we want to do our own thing with this. Um, so the filming happens and, uh, eventually comes up with a pilot movie, which is again, originally called solo and eventually transitions into the man from uncle. Uh, so the solo, um, the solo pilot, uh, eventually does air, um, within American televisions late, uh, September, 1964. And it does also go to theaters in international audiences as well, which is something that a couple of television series, most specifically the Disney studio has started doing at this time where features that they made for the Disneyland television show, wonderful world of color would be in theaters, um, in uh, other parts of the world. And MGM kind of took that idea for this movie to kind of, or this episode is just kind of put in theaters, kind of a 70 minute long thing and just kind of see how test the waters. Uh, Cause again, back in the day, you don't really see this as much these days, but you know, a lot of the days, like you would have kind of these pilot movies, especially for these types of series. Then it would kind of test the waters. If it had a popularity, okay, the next season, you kind of do a series about it. Mm. Now what's interesting about this original pilot is um, that there's a couple of things that are obviously different from the from the series that would end up being. One is that there is a different uh, lead character for in terms of the M type of role, which is uh, Mr. Allison, uh, which is uh, played by a man named Will Kavolva. And um, basically the executives on NBC hated this guy, did not want him in the series if there was a series. And so eventually they replace it with the Mr. Waverly British character, um, which is one of the three characters that define the movie or sorry define the series and kind of the three one of the three consistent characters the other major change that happens out of the pilot is within the pilot itself there is a minor character named uh illa kravakin mm-hmm. this russian kind of agent who briefly teams up with solo when the pilot goes to air in september the Illa character is extremely popular. I was going to say, like, it's one of those. <laughs> yeah. So uh, even though he had a minor role, was originally just meant to be a little thing within this series, within this a pilot kind of. Right. Again, a one-off character. A one-off yeah. character. Mm-hmm. Um, the character becomes very successful, and especially people really dig, and the executives of NBC initially don't like the character, but then they see the reaction between just the little bit of interaction that Solo and this Russian person get. Right. And so now instead of being like, okay, this is just, a, we don't want, you know, this Russian either. They're on board with saying, we got to add this Russian to the main series. Mm-hmm. We got to, we got to get this in. Is there a recent example? Cause you don't hear about that, that, uh, all right, something gets picked up in the pilot and then they're like, Oh, like, you know, they change like the, the last thing I can remember is, the show Justified, because like if you if anybody's a fan of, of Justified, uh, the Walton Goggins character was like a huge like it's a huge part of that show yeah. and it's like a popular part of that show. And I didn't actually know this until like my friend showed it to me, but it uh, he was in the pilot episode or in the first episode and is 
shot and seemingly killed Killed. off but ends up because he was so popular in the pilot in the first episode they bring him back almost immediately yeah it's kind of it's one of the things that's hard because a lot of times now because this is again this is an era where you would should show a pilot as like its own thing right and then you know Again, it's like a movie of the week or something, and then if it gets popular, okay, let's like kind of bring it in. Yeah, there's really not room to yeah, do that as much a anymore. Lot of, a lot of times today, like you do get those things where, like, because even the Walter Walton Goggins thing, it's like they shot the pilot, they watched it, and they kind of immediately, even without like right, showing it right. to like putting on TV, they kind of immediately knew, oh wait, we need to keep. Yeah, so Goggins. even that example is more of just like a retroactive yeah. decision. There, on it's the really hard because part. a lot of times with these pilots now, when they order the pilot, it's like they gotta immediately start like right. having episodes whereas this one they you know they aired this in 1964 and then you know they kind of kind of go from there um so i should say as well that um the uh napoleon solo is played by robert vaughn and uh the agent um the russian agent ilium is played by david mccollum and obviously, uh, Robert Vaughn is already kind of signed on board where it's like, if we do a series, we want you to come back. Uh, but obviously, David uh, McCollum gets a big break in the sense that a one-off smaller character suddenly becomes like the major focus point of this show. So the show, because this is, again, the reason it was called Man From U.N.C.L.E. is that it's originally just a Napoleon solo mm-hmm. thing. And now the Man From U.N.C.L.E. refers to both of those characters as they bounce off each other. And people mm-hmm. really enjoyed the American solos kind of more laid back nature and, you know, Iliad's the Russian kind of stoicness that was kind of, well, I mean this, it writes itself. It's like, as soon as you, even just on a stereotype, uh, like, uh, trope level, it's like, you can like, it's a, it's a clear win. Yes. And then eventually again, our Mr. Waverly character is, uh, also added into the series um, be played by Leo G. Carroll. Um, and so that kind of triumvirate would be consistent for the entire series, which runs from 1964 to 1968. Um, it's off and running and a huge hit. It kind of really takes in, because again, this is 1964. Goldfinger is just about to come out and really boost the Braun franchise up to its large place in, um, uh, you know, pop culture that was building with uh, From Rush With Love and kind of comes to a head with Goldfinger. And right off the tails of that is The Man From U.N.C.L.E. And essentially, it's a huge hit for NBC. Immediately, there's like toys, you know, merchandise, anything you can think of. Like, this is a big opportunity for NBC, one of their new popular series um, for the um, for for their network. Mm-hmm. Um and basically, again, like I said earlier, it kind of kicks off the TV spy craze. And it's out of this that uh, Mission Possible comes up, that Get Smart comes up, and basically kind of creates a new genre for television. Because, again, early television is all like that era of television, the 50s into the early 60s. A lot of it's like the sitcoms, the westerns, and the variety shows, like the talk shows and stuff like that. So this kind of created a new subgenre within that world and basically kind of blows it wide open for everybody. Uh, the first season is completely in black and white, uh, and then later seasons would go into color. Um, but basically, that core relationship uh, of Solo and Ilium is just basically what drives the series and what drives that popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, now, eventually, with the series, um, you also have um, 
all the episodes are kind of named the affair or like the double affair, this type of affair, whatever it means. Uh, and basically just like, I mean, I kind of would say it's very similar, but different to like what stuff like Mission Impossible was doing. Cause Mission Impossible was basically like, here's the mission of the week and here's our characters just going off on this mission. And man from uncle kind of establishes that um, it does give its characters a little bit more personality just like with Mission Impossible like in a different way, uh, Felton and you know his writers were very vague on the origins of this relationship and the origins of Uncle. It was basically like just the means for them to kind of push these characters out there. But whereas Mission Impossible was literally like those characters were made to be easily replaced episode to episode, season to season, they did let the kind of personalities of these characters shine. Again, Robert Vaughn's Simulian Solo gets this more laid back, kind of calm, smooth... I'm, you know, kind of American style, um, whereas the, uh, you know, our Russian character, again, gets that kind of more intensity and, and a little bit more anger. And again, that dynamic is really mined throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of female characters that come in and out of the series, uh, kind of that team up. And there's always, again, the kind of the rule of the show writing wise is that there is always kind of the innocent character that comes in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the female character would be that innocent character. Sometimes the female character would be a fellow spy. Eventually, Felton, again, does take the old April Dancer character that Fleming had come up with and eventually inserts it to show for the purposes of the spinoff, The Girl from Uncle. So it switches the color in its second season, and uh, Rolf left the show, um, and David Victor becomes a new showrunner. And this would be kind of... The first season went incredibly popular, but the next couple seasons... There was a lot of showrunners coming in and out of the door as kind of the concept of the series kept moving. Um, the original version of the series was a little bit more straightforward spy stuff. It did have a kind of, a, it's the 60s, it's got kind of a little bit of a campy nature inherently, but it was kind of more on that From Rush With Love side of, you know, Bond Wars, kind of a more serious thing that has a few over-the-top moments. Whereas, as the series went on, each kind of showrunner kind of upped the insanity, made it a little more gadget-based, and took the gadgets away. So, kind of the style of the series kind of started to go kind of all over the place. Um, Especially when Batman comes in, and Mm. Batman becomes the new popular thing on TV, ABC's Batman. And so, in in competition with ABC's Batman, uh, the uncle team decides to kind of up that campiness and up that and 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 have a permanent recurring female character to kind of go in with what they were doing with Catwoman on that other show. Um, and the humor kept coming in and um, basically just kind of it was diminishing returns that hugely popular first season. People kind of were tired of just the constant tonal changes within the show and kind of this, you know, the comedy kind of getting up and people weren't really looking for that, especially because, again, at this point, all these other imitators and, and, and kind of offshoots come in and Get Smart was a much funnier show than, Man, than those later season Man From Uncles. So eventually Man From Uncle gets canceled in its fourth season. Um, but there is kind of a still a cult following of it at this time, um, as I found out um, through my research. Man From Uncle is one of the earliest fan fiction communities in the world Uh, in the sense that like basically like people would would write it for like kind of those types of nerd magazines and stuff like Uh that there was kind of a little bit of a a nerd following just because of the concept um the the series kind of sticks around in people's minds even beyond the 60s 
does kind of get into those early kind of syndication bits. So kind of sticks around um, in our kind of 80s revival period for these spy films. Um, because in the 80s, we talked about there was that Mission Impossible reunion series. Excuse me. That reunion series that came out of the writer's strike. There's also that kind of Get Smart, the, the nude bomb movie that kind of comes out of the 80s. And there is also a reunion movie in the 80s for Man From U.N.C.L.E., which is, uh, which is titled Return of the Man From U.N.C.L.E., The 15 Years Later Affair. There's a couple of notes about this one. Um, it does feature... Uh, Vaughn and McCallum coming up the replies, their main roles of Solo and Ilium. Um, Leo G. Carroll did not return to the role of uh, Mr. Waverly because he had unfortunately passed away. So Patrick McNee, uh, who is noted for the Avengers uh, series in uh, England, takes over the kind of new head of Uncle. And this also features a very specific cameo, if I may. Uh, so basically the plot of this, and this is also interesting, I do want to mention this, is... The plot of this movie is basically like there's an offshoot of thrust that comes back up in the 80s and um, Solo and, and Ilium have retired to new lives. Uh, Solo is kind of a general computer businessman. And, and what a cool, I kind of found this really cool that Ilium is actually within his retired life, a fashion designer, which is something that is actually specifically referenced yes, yeah. in the movie. That's funny. Uh, in the movie version. Um, but basically like this offshoot of thrust comes up and they have to you know get these the, the duo back together to kind of save the world. Um, there is one thing that's really notable about this of this reunion movie and it's the fact that there is a cameo appearance by one George Lazenby <laughs> as a character named JB. Uh-huh. Uh who <laughs> basically does all the Bond stuff. Right, right. So what's very interesting that's about funny. about that cameo is this movie comes out in the the reunion movie comes out in 1983? That means that all three of the original James Bonds had a movie or an appearance in a movie where they played James Bond, right? Because Sean Connery obviously is doing James Bond and Never Say Never Again mm -hmm. um, in 1983. Uh, also that same year, Major Moore does Octopussy, and George Lazenby within this role plays JB and basically has all the Bond kind of tropes. That's so funny. That's awesome. It's kind awesome. of an interesting kind of like little kind of factoid. And it, and it's also like, especially if you're a fan of all that stuff, it's mm -hmm. it must be like a fun crossover. And then conceptually makes sense too, because you have the American, you have like the, the Russians, and then you have the British intelligence, yeah. which is another thing that eventually plays a role uh going f into into the film. Um, yeah. Does that was that ever a thing in the in the show at all or was it just kind of I'm sure it must have been like where British intelligence played a role at some point. Yeah, in, I'm sure the there's show. stuff like that. I mean cuz it's like it's also like a British like cuz the uh, Mr. Waverly is a British leader of uncle. That's right, like, right, that's, that's like true. He's, right. He's British mm -hmm. leader of uncle, you know, in charge of this American and this Russian. And again, there was kind of this vagueness of like kind of what this organization was. Was it connected to the CIA, KG, like what it was? There was always kind of that it's just like a, another spy organization out there to save the world. Mm -hmm, so right. again, there was kind of that vagueness so they could just kind of keep telling the stories. It was basically like, you know, we're putting it out there. We have our men from UNCLE and we're having them against our thrush. Sometimes it would be another villain of the week, like a mob boss or like whatever it may be. Again, that was the kind of the nature of the spy television world is like you could just do something different every week. And right. it was kind of there. Uh, so that 83 reunion movie is popular, and just like with Mission Impossible, there was kind of an eye on 
well, maybe we can do something more with this. Maybe there's another revival in place. So um, a couple, a decade later, in 1993, a producer named John Davis optioned the film rights for the series because he, he was a fan as a kid. He, he knew about the 83 reunion movie, but he thought that this could have potential in the 90s kind of to be a um, good thing. So he, he brings the development deal to Warner Brothers, who would keep the development of the Man From U.N.C.L.E. movie all the way until it's released in 2015. Mm-hmm. So, um, so kind of one of those like, li- no, I don't want to say production, uh, like development hell, but it was just always on the shelf yes, of development. Yes, a lot yeah. of people came in and out of the movie. Davis himself said that he, uh, over the course of the whole 20 years before the movie really got made, he had probably got 14 different writers to do scripts of the movie. And, and it, it's not that surprising either because. Not that it's a bad conceit for a show. In fact, it's a very, it's probably the most functional conceit you can have for a story. Yeah. Especially like since it was kind of even accidentally done to begin with. Right. So, but when you look at all the other shows, like the movies that have come out of TV shows, much more sexier hooks. Like, you know, it's like the fact you've had how many like Charlie's Angels Mm -hmm. and like, you know, and it's funny because that spy wise, like there's Mission Impossible, which I think you know, kind of pivoted into the whole, like, oh, big action set piece. So it's not surprising that the other spy shows didn't quite, like, they weren't as rushed out because it's like, you know, what more are you going to right. to do exactly. with the spy thing? And it's like, it's like still at this point, like, 93 is that kind of interesting period to attempt this because, again, you're kind of in that gap of Bond, so there is kind of room for that. But then as the development goes on and you still have the Bonds and the Austin Powers and eventually the Mission Impossibles, like you kind of have these things where you've got to try to make it kind of work. Um, so that deal is struck in 93. He brings it to Warner Brothers just that same year, 93, 94. They start developing it. And the first person that they're able to attach to the project is post-Pulp Fiction Quentin Tarantino. Oh, wow. Uh, so Tarantino, as you have probably noticed in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is a fan of 60s television, is a fan of Man From U.N.C.L.E., and so this was one of the projects that he considered taking on. He actually did do a little bit of script work um, for the project, but eventually you know, kind of saw the writing on the wall that it seemed like there was still kind of things going on you know behind the scenes with it so he eventually moved on to Jackie Brown yeah I'm not a big like attaching names like that mm-hmm. to see or and then like you know pining for that original version of it but Tarantino doing a man from uncle movie is especially after seeing something like you know once upon a time in Hollywood yeah Definitely something I would want to see. Yeah, more. I would want to see. I like, think he would again. Do with I think like just like he kind of had. He would put a specific vision on it. But again, yeah. like, no having. But I don't think it would be like. It. I don't think it would be like a Tarantino e movie. I think it would be I'm leaning more into, into the sixties. Yeah, what it's I think. To be. I think. I think that same thing, especially because again, when you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you see. Like when he's doing stuff like he's uh, definitely not above emulating it. Yeah, if you, especially if you watch that movie, right? Like yeah. when he's doing all the western stuff yeah. and and with 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 Leo and even like him like really replicating stuff like the FBI and and stuff like that. Like he's yeah. really like I think if he's a fan of it, like because because you get that in like Kill Bill, like you know he's emulating all those kind of classic you know Hong Kong action pictures right. and those those you know 
Chinese and, and action pictures that he grew up kind of watching. And it has all those kind of tropes in those movies, and like including like the bad dubbing, like he includes all that. So I can imagine like, especially like post Pulp Fiction, where I think he's still, because that's Tarantino. Like really, it's like obviously Tarantino had been doing all his own work before that, but that's really kind of Tarantino. Like that's kind of the formative years where like him doing a project that he wants to do in Jackie Brown and then transitioning that into Kill Bill is really where the Tarantino-ness comes in. Yeah. Because there's an easily alternate version of Tarantino's career where he does, after Pulp Fiction, does take the projects like Man From Uncle and, and Green Lantern and whatever else he was offering at that time. Now, I will say, in comparison to those other, like the Silver Surfer and Green Lantern movies he was talked about, uh, he was actually, again, attached and did some work on Man From Uncle. So that's kind of the closest of any of those kind of adaptation projects he got through. Um, so over the years, uh, a lot of other directors kind of drop in and out of the series. You have like Matthew Vaughn's considered at one point, um, David Dobkin, who would eventually go on to direct Wedding Crashers, um, was also considered. Um, another director that came um, attached at one point was Steven Soderbergh off the success of Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. Um, but Soderbergh eventually leaves because he's uh, concerned with the budget because the entire thing about this series, most of these scripts, some of them kind of try to update it to a modern day, but a majority of the scripts keep it in that sixties world because that's what they're interested in playing with it. And Soderbergh's version would have been in the sixties. Um, but he felt that the budget he was given would not adequately allow him to kind of do the set design, the production design of kind of a period piece. Uh, so he kind of left the project. Um, uh, but in that version, um, yeah, so basically 60s, eventually Guy Ritchie does come on in 2013 and signs on. Right. Guy Ritchie's I mean, this series of directors, it's very telling about the type of movie they wanted to make and not saying all those names are interchangeable but there's an energy. There's a specific kind of coolness energy for all of that. Like, like. Tarantino, Soderbergh, Guy Ritchie all have a little bit of that same kind of visual flair. Yes. That kind of emulate. And like all of them you can imagine is they would have a very similar, like somewhat similar visual flair. Definitely similar soundtracks. Yeah. All three of them. Similar soundtracks, slick, cool nature, a little bit of a flair, masculine, but not like uber masculine, just kind of like cool, cool guys, gentlemen, clubby nature to them. And it's very telling the, the angle that they're, that they're trying to go for the movie. Yeah. Uh, but eventually guy Richie does come on. Um, so we do have, uh, who is like, you know, that, that is textbook, like movies about, you know, cool, slick, gentlemanly. Well, the thing is, like, when Guy Ritchie talks about the movie, he very much admits that, like, it's another one in my world of, like, guy bonding movies. Like, that's, like... Oh, kinda, sure. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, he you see it in his Sherlock Holmes with his version of Watson and Holmes. You know, you see it in kind of his early work, like, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. He's very... He said, like, he's very interested in kind of his own little genre of, like, Two guys just becoming buddies, and two. And like, I, I would say, I would say that's that's mostly consistent. In most, if not all, of at least the movies I'm familiar with, it's his, a, yeah. there's at least like a core friendship at, at like yeah. the, at the core of everything that he does, or at least he's interested in. Yeah. So, um, so he kind of gets on board and he works on the script. It's actually one of the few recent scripts, like within modern Guy Ritchie canon, that he's actually written himself. Because he wrote kind of a lot of his early work, but stuff like Sherlock Holmes he got from other writers. So he was very much like... And and Guy was familiar with the original series. He enjoyed 
the the concept of it and thought he could um you know kind of go because his whole idea with it is that he loved the original series but he was one of those people that like he thought about like well how did this come about like you know the Amer- american and a russian being commanded by a british guy in the height of the cold war you know when when these two countries were most at odds so how does this kind of come to be so he kind of takes it into being an origin story uh for the uncle team and with that adds more backstory to the characters in napoleon solo and you know his russian partner um so then there's of course casting um basically this was a movie that like every major male lead you can think of was kind of considered for that there's a lot of ramarole um one point early on in production um George Clooney was interested and wanted to play Napoleon Solo. Yeah. He was attached, um, but he got a back injury in yeah. 2011 and was unable to. Do it. And so he's actually attached before they had a director that he was kind of, you know, kind of peak era George Clooney where he's kind of producing these types of movies. Oh, you know? I, I see. Okay. All right. That yeah. makes more sense. Yeah. So he was kind of like maybe would, ha- would have a hand in producing it. So there's that. But then, you know, it's like, Every name that you could think of was like, uh, you know, even for the two lead roles, you have like your, uh, your Ryan Gosling's, your Channing Tatum's, your um, Michael Fassbender's, and Ryan Reynolds, like all those, all those right, types of right. people. It's just like, it not a, n- a not surprising list of people. Yeah. Um, but eventually, the Napoleon solo role is filled in by one Tom Cruise. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> uh, so Tom Cruise was going to add this to his world of his Mission Impossible, his Jack Reacher, is like another kind of spy-esque thing. Yeah. Uh, so originally it is Tom Cruise and then Army Hammer. You know what? No, I don't No, I don't think. And maybe I'm just saying that in retrospect, seeing yeah. what it was, but I, I don't know. I, I, I would agree. I think Cruise fits a little bit more of the intent. Like, even though he doesn't fit the height of, uh, like, the the book description of Jack Reacher, he kind of feels a little bit more of that type of intensity. I don't know if he could play, like, the solo kind of really it, laid back. He's too much of a bemused ruggedness. Yeah. To, like, you know, Tom Cruise is really good at, that's why he's so good as Ethan Hunt, is because he's very capable, but there's that level of even he's kind of, like, just so like thrown by like everything getting thrown his way. Mm-hmm. So there's a level of that to him. And I don't, and, and in some ways he's not, he's not cool. Traditional American in the sense that like solo, at least in the way that it's ultimately played where it's like, he's not, a, he's not a playboy. No. Yeah. I, I think that's really what it is. Yeah. Like he, he's not like smooth talking playboy. And I, I don't think I've, at least I don't, I don't see him that way. Yeah. Um, but it originally it is Tom Cruise um, and Army Hammer are going to be your two leads. So mm-hmm. Army Hammer was pretty much like a, just kind of one of those initial things where like, as soon as he auditioned, there was like, this is our, this is our guy Yeah. Um, for uh, the role of uh, Ilium Karak. And um, I'm going to get that name wrong a lot. Uh, Ilya. Uh, and with that, we also have Alicia Vikander uh, gets cast as a female lead. There was never really a consideration for the April Dancer character to come in from Girl From Uncle. It was very much like they were just going to do their own original thing. And kind of basically Guy Ritchie's thing is like it's just kind of like if we did like an origin story episode of the show where it's just kind of have you have your, you know, we, we introduce our three main characters. Um, but then we kind of everybody else is kind of, you know, just for this story. 
Um, but really quickly, like, uh, basically two months after he signs on, Cruz decides to drop out um, because he wants to focus completely on Rogue Nation. So which the movie that would become Mission Impossible, Rogue, Nathan, Rogue Nation, uh, the fifth Mission Impossible movie. Uh, so he's replaced uh, by Henry Cavill, who was the initial runner-up for the role. Um, uh, well, first what they were going to do is they were going to put Henry Cavill's mustache on Tom Cruise. Yeah. And then when that wasn't working out, they're just like, well, we're just going to replace him with Well, it's also really wholesale. funny because obviously like he had just been doing, um, you know, within this period, he's doing uh, Man of Steel, mm-hmm. Henry Cavill, so he's Superman. And don't forget, this is also that time period where Army Hammer as Batman was kind of that consistent. Oh yeah, like, like thing. well, this was during that. Like it, it is interesting because this is during that time where both are making their rounds as like big tentpole action stars. Yeah, like they were both in something, and then Cavill is Superman. Uh, you know, uh, Hammer was doing like maybe the Batman thing, and then ultimately was Lone Ranger before or after. No, that was before this. That was that was army behind the the thing was is that like obviously that was kind of filmed at all similar times, but like the Lone Ranger for Army Hammer was kind of the big kind of halt on his kind of no I, like, but, his stardom and, career. And I think that's what and this may be skipping ahead a little bit, but I think that's what maybe kind of preemptively hurt a lot of people's uh, perception. perception going into this film yeah. a little bit. Yeah, because um, the Lone Ranger was going to be the big thing, and like yeah. it was going to be his big like I'm a star coming yeah. out party, and, and, and it kind of and, yeah. and frankly, and, and I will say unfairly so because I don't think that he is the problem. Oh, in that movie, oh he's he is one of the better kind of parts. It's just that yeah. the role. Because that's a whole thing. Like I've talked about the Lone Ranger on other podcasts that don't exist anymore. Um, but the problem with that movie is that it's just that it doesn't give the Lone Ranger enough to do to really show him. Like right. when Omri Hammer is in the Lone Ranger role at the end of that movie, when he's actually the Lone Ranger, not because the first two thirds of the movie he's complaining like I don't want to be the Lone Ranger. As right. soon as he becomes the Lone Ranger, you can tell he's a star. Sure. But I yeah I think overall I mean I I think he's I've always liked him in things um, that he was in. So just some notes because obviously these are two main leads they're playing off each other. Uh, Cavill was very excited for the role of Napoleon Solo mostly because as he joked he didn't have to take off his shirt mm-hmm. um, because he didn't have to worry much his physique which he's had to do a lot with Superman obviously and a lot of his previous roles he's just kind of known. Well for I mean uh, like on the surface level. It's exactly everything he's not doing in the Superman role, right? Like yeah. it is, is and really it's just like it it's just like he could really focus on the performance because he would admit that like the physical side of being Superman kind of takes away from how he preps mm-hmm. for the role. So just having a total role where he can, yeah, obviously he still needs to stay in shape, but it can just be the role and not have to worry about like oh how good his abs look. Mm. He's very excited for that. Um, neither of our leads of Army Hammer or Henry Cavill had ever seen a Man from Uncle. Um, Cavill decided not to watch any of the series at all and basically just take the Napoleon solo character. Um, Such a solo thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just kind of make it his own, whereas Army Hammer binged the first, the, all four seasons. Of, Such an Ilya thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of is, actually. Yeah, um, and he enjoyed what he had seen, right. and, but, but, but still kind of took his own version Every, of it. and everything I've heard about Army Hammer that doesn't surprise me yeah. that, that that's the kind of guy But basically he is. like in terms of the character they are very similar in nature to their counterparts on the television show. They basically do have the same core personalities. It's just that again Guy Ritchie and his writing team um give him a little bit more of a backstory, a little bit more of a kind of an edge for both of those characters. Um 
and Alicia Vikander again is playing this kind of original kind of spy character, but they kind of again going between like being this innocent, you know, dragged into it, and then eventually her reveal that she is kind of more into it than she seems. So she kind of had a lot of fun, you know, kind of trying to. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where she did have to flip a switch at one point to play a kind of a different version of her own character. Mm-hmm. So kind of finding that. Uh, just to round out the cast, we also have uh, Elizabeth Debicki as one of our main female villains. You'll enjoy this. Um, the other females, uh, the other women up for that role are were Charlize Theron. Yeah, I could see that. And, yeah. and someone who's constantly on the tip of your tongue, Rose Byrne. Oh, that would have been amazing. Oh, oh man. I would have liked that. I would have liked that a lot. I think so, too. Uh, and then uh, basically kind of the final pieces of the puzzle is Hugh Grant as Alexander Waverly. Again, our M equivalent within the Man from Uncle World. Uh, Hugh Grant was like one of the few people on this show or on this production other than uh, Guy Ritchie to be a fan of the original production. Um, he has said that he was one of those kids that had like the Man from Uncle Car and the Man from Uncle like Toy Gun as a kid. So kind of being stepping into that world um, is very, very fun for him. Um, it's also noted that Hugh Grant is possibly the only person in the movie that's actually using his own accent, his own natural accent. Yeah, that is that is funny. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, Guy Ritchie kind of wrote the script with uh, uh, another screenwriting partner, uh, David Allock, um, but also he wanted to kind of really emphasize the banter and the relationship, again, between our two male leads. So he was someone who allowed a lot of improvisation on the movie and a lot of kind of figuring out. And Cavill was very excited about that because, again, for stuff like Superman for Man of Steel, it's very much a specific, this is what we're doing with, mm-hmm. with, this, with, with the character, with this world. So kind of having that freedom to kind of play with the world and play with those characters and kind of really be those two characters um, was very exciting for both Army Hammer and for Cavill. And they had nothing but great things to say about the other, just that they immediately like kind of really got into the characters really kind of felt, you know, even though their, their, their approaches were different, they really got into the characters and, and really were able to kind of access that kind of the, the roots of those characters and kind of bring something new to the table. Um, but otherwise it seemed like it was a pretty uh, smooth production wise. Um, they filmed obviously in Italy, in uh, UK and in uh, Spain. So they kind of went all around the world to kind of get the, that feel yeah. of the series. Yeah, and I remember when this was coming out, like this was in that circle of just like slick, fun spy movies just coming out oh, all would... within in the same period of time. I mean, uh, th- this is in the same... I mean, not directly, but, you know, because you had... You would put the same kind of anticipation in this that you would have put in, like, to Kingsman and things like that, where it's like, oh, it's just this series of other movies, these other non-Bond movies coming out. Because there's kind of this, there was this mini resurgence of the uh, uh, more, for lack of a better term, lighter Bond movies in in light, in in, in the wake of the the Craig films. I think that was one of. Richie's intentions that right. he kind of wanted to bring kind of that classic spiness. And so that's one of the reasons that Richie himself said that he kept it in the sixties was 
not only to really differentiate it from the other spy stuff going on, to differentiate it from the Borns and the Mission Impossibles and the Bonds that yeah. kind of all like kind of got darker. Like you know, Mission Impossible got bigger, but they're still all kind of modern. There's a little bit more sure. It's it's they're very modern movies, yeah. yeah. And and it's like the differentiate for that, but also that '60s world allowed him to kind of be his own little fun world that he could play with with the 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 tone and and the the humor and the personality of the movie to really kind of bring it into kind of a classic kind of 60s spy feel right to really kind of bring what people really liked about that first season of the series kind of mix it in with a little bit of the humor that the later men from uncle series had and kind of bring it all up and and mix it up into this kind of wonderful 60s world right he is very very excited to be on the project yeah awesome Awesome. Well, okay. Well, does that wrap up our? I think so. Not All right. Much else. Well, uh, let, let, let's we just get into a, this. We learned a lot. Yeah. Let's get into this and one, and we'll talk about the movie now. Could you pass me that brown paper back for my case, please? Are they still following us? Yes. Is there one of them? Just hum if there is. Hmm? Is he looking at us? Mm-hmm. Does he have just one hand on the steering wheel? Mm-hmm. When you hear something that sounds like a gunshot, drive. Yeah, and so it and means we're that we're ready to talk about the movie. Uh, so this is again, we're talking about the 2015 film version of uh, the Man from Uncle. Um, and and to reiterate, we had both seen this. And I, I want to say when I came, when this came out, I was really excited for it because it was in that like I this was that was a time where I was still kind of you know I was kind of still had a little bit of mixed feelings about the Craigs, but I I enjoyed like you know Skyfall had come out at that point and stuff like that. And I was very much like, I see the trailer again. It's got that kind of 60s vibe. And, you know, you kind of see kind of the, you kind of see a little bit of the banter, a little bit of kind of the, the, the suaveness. And especially because you know it's a Guy Ritchie film. So, you know, there's going to be a specific tone, a specific kind of coolness to the movie. I was very jazzed to, to check this out because I was like, I'm going to eat this up as kind of a classic Bond fan, I think. Yeah, I think for me, it was under the radar where I was like, it looks interesting and fun, but I, I needed something more in the Kingsman level where yeah. it was like super out there and super crazy. Mm-hmm. So like, it, it wasn't enough to get me to go see it upon release when it first came out because I didn't see this in theaters when it came out. I, I saw this kind of later. Uh so kind of back to the point is like you, both you and I had seen this already. And I think for both of us, it had been some time since we had yeah, seen yeah. it. Yeah, I had pretty much not seen it since its theatrical run. Yeah, I, I think I saw it maybe like two, maybe two years ago or something like that. Um, and so so this was kind of a good refresher uh, mm-hmm. going back into it. So my feelings about the movie were interesting kind of going into it because I remember – 
liking it. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it was a solid, fun movie. Yeah. Uh, that frankly, I thought like because what what's the vibe around this movie? Because it, it's kind of I think one of those movies that maybe in retrospect I think maybe just people didn't really latch on to or didn't really see like first of all was this a successful movie it it made it wasn't like a huge hit but it made right it made money so it it, it like you know it was one of those things like 70 million dollar budget kind of a hundred you know 110 120 million i do remember just like kind of like critically it didn't take anybody by storm and it's one of those movies that does yeah. have a following of people who do like it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it kind of has like a mini cult following, like yeah. not like a big cult following, but like it does have its defenders. It, it has people who will say, "Oh, that's a gem yeah. of a movie." Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I mean, this is getting into the aftermath, but it is kind of a, a, a little bit of a mixed reception. There are people who really like. I don't say that anybody who really sees it is like it's like a bad movie. It's yeah. more so like it ranges from I really like this to it's okay. Yeah, like that's kind of where the thing is. I so. I remember when I originally saw it, my instinct was just remembering some of the people I heard who didn't like it. And I was like, oh, what's the problem? It was a solid movie. Uh, But something, it wasn't great is what I remember. It it was solid, but it wasn't great. And my viewing experience this time around was me being like, oh, shit, like I must have really misremembered this movie. This movie's not only just solid, this, this movie's great. This movie's awesome. And then the rest of the movie continues, and I'm like, oh, yeah, those were the compromising elements of it. They, they kept it from being great, to the point that what I will say about my feelings of the movie are very favorable, very much enjoyed it. I do think it's a, it's a solid film that, that comes up short, Yeah, and that's how I would put it. I think this is, this is one of those movies that it hinges on how much you kind of enjoy that main relationship and enjoy kind of the banter and the humor. Because that's what really keeps the movie going. Because this is a movie that, at the end of the day, is really your again your enjoyment going to be based on the performances and the characters because they're really the plot momentum is kind of really oh it's definitely a one trick pony movie yeah and it plays that trick all the way up until the credit like yeah. the end credits yeah. and it, it, it's kind of interesting how little other nuance it is while keeping the energy that that it has but you're right plot momentum is maybe the biggest issue yeah. with the film it's just like it basically like feels like that and knowing and hearing all the guy Ritchie kind of interviews and, and, and knowing what he talks about the movie it really does feel like guy Ritchie really 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 wanted to play with these two characters and kind of sandbox these two characters and kind of the banter and the relationships they can have and then he's like coming up with all these ideas and he's like oh right they have to do something okay or well, there's a nuke and they got right. to find a new. It's See, like, I, but here's the thing. I even when because here here's something. I I want to say some major positive things about the movie yeah. first. Uh, it's it's still striking to me that there's so many other recent movies that are much more entertaining Bond movies than the actual Bond movies yes. are. And frankly, yeah. I would put this in the list of those movies as well. Well, that's like, like the, I've thoroughly enjoyed this more so than any of the recent Bond movies. Personally, yeah, hundred percent because. The thing is, like, and that's why I was excited to see it initially, and that's why it's still kind of a little bit of a gem in terms of just fun. It is. Like, there is, despite all its flaws, like, plot flaws and, and like, just kind of momentum flaws that it has, it it is, like, a very fun watch because you have this kind of just humor and this kind of tone that just continually kind of pops up 
and, and makes things, you know, makes you smile, makes mm-hmm. you kind of enjoy what you're looking at. And it, again, it's just like when you think about like it is kind of comparable to kind of that tone that you kind of see in like, you know, the later more and or even the early Brosnan era where there's kind of like, yeah, like those movies kind of maybe take themselves a little bit more seriously in some aspects. But there is that kind of just that humorous, just kind of fun bantery tone yeah. that like is just so infectious that like you kind of again, it kind of makes you it kind of beats you up and wins you over on like again like kind of ignoring the movie's flaws yeah yeah and it's just like kind of again the craig movies just kind of miss that and so whenever there's an opportunity to like see that especially kind of in this kind of spy genre it's like i want to jump at that chance because again like if bond's not doing it someone's got to kind of have fun with this thing and so and this movie again is very much based on having fun with with our two leads having fun with with conville and 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 hammer's performances and letting them really bounce off each other. And again, that's again, despite all the movie's flaws, they're kind of bouncing off each other, and that mo- the mo- momentum that they create kind of keeps that movie afloat. And that, and I think that's what leads into my second point perfectly is that uh, the other thing I would say about it is that I I think this may be the best tentpole action. Uh, roles that both of these guys have had. I would not disagree with this. Actually, uh, I think that I I've heard that there's some very complicated. Like people are kind of all over the mat for Henry Cavill. I've never disliked him as Superman. Yeah. I think he's fine. I think some of it is the material he's given. I think I think that's always been a big part. I think that there again, there's kind of a little bit more of like if you had that kind of the 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 kind of. It's funny because people don't want the Boy Scouty Superman, but I feel like if you had a little bit more of that, it works with Captain America. Just saying, I know you can do it. You can do it. But it's uh, like, but 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 I think again, it's, it's. I feel like Cavill's Superman is very much like Craig's Bond, where it's like if you just altered it just a little you bit. Can't to, you can't tell me that he he's in this movie? And frankly, I think his Napoleon solo is. And again, don't get me wrong; it's not a earth-shattering performance it's not reinventing the wheel it's definitely a comfort zone trope of just like oh slick playboy american like that that's what it is yeah but he plays it to what like to the point where it's almost cartoonish i I won't like lie about that but like if he could play that and it be infectious and well delivered and he sticks with it the whole time I, i don't see why he can't play the 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 uh the the boy scout in yeah. in, well, that's in a, Superman, like but that's a whole different that's a whole different discussion but discussion. but it really is i think the lead performance i think both lead performances really anchor this movie into something well see that's this was the thing where it's like i think that people really miss like like it's unfortunate like about like the perception of lone ranger cuz i think it m- gave people the perception that army hammer doesn't quite have it and yeah. i think army hammer has always had it and i think if you this is the movie you want to go to for a oh this guy is great in this and i think he i think he is great in this and again none of it is earth-shattering revolutionary stuff but the, i i think it's like a solid lead performance of this character this russian with anger issues and and that's another thing i will say about like the writing and the directing in this movie is that this movie avoids some pretty key trappings that could have made this movie a lot worse like yeah. there there's some things that come to mind of like they don't really play up any type of love triangle between no. like the thing which i know is like it just seems like they would obviously go there because especially the way this movie begins with like it's these two guys basically like 
trying to get her, you know, you know, um, oh, like out of they're, they're trying to extract her from yeah, from where for, she for is for different reasons. So yeah, you for different you, sides, you could easily see it going into like a romantic, yeah, for both like who's she going to end up with, and they don't do that. Um, and then. To the point where this movie has a big shipper community between Sassoon Solo and... Uh, Does it really? It has a... I did also find that out. There's a very much like a ship these two, but... Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, but then it gives like enough for each of the lead characters to do as well. I thought that they effectively give business and backstory enough for both of the lead characters to add a little bit more personality to them and everything. So, and I... There, there are little key things that like that it worked on me at least. Yeah, and I, and I think the chemistry between the two characters and the two actors, I think, also again helps that out. Yeah, that when they are like best bouncing off each other, and I'm sure there's some improvisations and some riffs in there, but like it just seems so natural that these again, it's kind of like the naturalness of that original pilot, you know, expanding that Ilya character. It kind of it, you just see it here that these two dynamic. These two opposite personalities, just there's there's something about the way they interact with each other. And I think, again, just Guy Ritchie kind of taking that strength of his work. Yeah. And it just kind of showcases oh, here. And then, um, and then kind of because I'm about to explain what's going on in the movie, the other thing I would say about it is that I was a – plot-wise – this was one of those where I followed it easier, easiest. It's streamlined enough. It's kind of one of these plots that I kind of wish Bond movies would have, where it's essentially, essentially what it comes down to. And they say it in so many words, but the bad guys are Nazis or like descendants of like Nazis or Nazi followers. Yeah. They're coming back. So it's kind of like that's why Soviet Russia and America right. have to team and up. They, and they basically are like, the reason that they're coming together is that they, they they're kidnapped or the scientist is missing. That's coming up with a, like a super easy way to make nukes. Mm-hmm. That like you don't need to get this super material. It's kind of a synthetic nuke, and they think that they they're forcing him to finish it. Yeah. So they're like go and, and they and, and they, then it's like go go to Italy. Like you have to because the thing is like they just fought for um, the Alicia Vikander character Gabby. Mm-hmm. They just like because Solo's trying to extract her out um, for you know the American side that they can get information. You know. Uh, Ilya has just been instructed to like stop solo. So, you know, they basically have just gone to like almost like, you know, fighting each other and like the car chase, which is a very fun car chase at the beginning of the movie. And they're basically like, you know, this, you know, solo's like, this guy's crazy. Like, who, who is he? He's like an it. He's like, it, it tore the back of my car off. Right. And then like, he's basically like looking at solo and just like, this is a guy to be defeated. This is the enemy. And then all of a sudden they're forced to be together, forced to team up together to kind of save the world. And so there's kind of that initial immediate dynamic. Yeah. I mean, again, I, when we were watching this, I, the, I described it as the guy, Richie Hobbs and Shaw, because if you really want it, it's the, Two people get in a lo- like in a room. This guy plays by this isn't exactly what it is, but it's just that energy of like this guy plays by the rules and this guy's a loose cannon. And then they both get in and like, hey, this guy's an asshole. It's like, yeah, yeah but you two have to get along. It's like, like it's it's an age old like. It, but it's, I think story. it's also just like again, the beginning of this movie is like so well establishes that because yeah. you have like that initial car chase, which is really fun, has a lot of really fun kind of moments. Um, like just again, Cavill in the back of the car doing like the is you have one hand on the steering wheel like that whole thing again very spy very cool like the thing like you know the the moment that it's a trailer moment but the moment where you know Solo has Gabby drive 
the car down like a very narrow stairway. Oh, it, God, it, that it, was so funny. And like that it gets stuck. And she's like, well, now we're stuck. He's like, no, the window's right here. Like, right. And like, Solo kind of has that, again, kind of that, sometimes that Flint, that Derek Flint has confidence where it's just like, of course, like he knows what he's doing. Right. And it kind of gets him into trouble a little bit more than and it does Flint, but still kind of has that. But again, that whole car chase and then like, you know, um, you know, and then Army Hammer's still following them. It's just I like, also, it's just, I also like that they kind of played this angle where, it's not like like they both need each other in which like this person can do this thing and this person right. and like it, it was just more that like over the course of the film there would just be one thing that one guy could just do better than the other yeah. guy like that they both have like a very similar skill set yeah. but there are like kind of things and, and I think it was a very subtle interesting way of humanizing each character without yeah. just making them super spies right so I, I like that but yeah essentially like that's the plot is like that these Nazi slash descendant of Nazis are trying to like have this, the Alicia Vikander's father, who's a scientist kidnapped to uh, help build nukes. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, the whole world needs to team up against Nazis. That's kind of really what the plot is. I was going to get to the other like part of their introduction where like, obviously Henry Cavill's doing the thing where it's like, he's following his like, you know, his M into like the, the room like the, the bathroom. Oh like, we're God, the Jared Harris. The only thing I did not like about this movie really was I, I thought Jared Harris was just too much mm-hmm. in, in the, like yeah. I, I, his, his performance did not quite right. work for me. He does have that awesome. And there's moments like this in the entire movie that had me dying of laughter. Yeah. So I will say like on a writing level, it made me laugh where he's like in the bathroom and then he like unzips his pants to like go like, you know, to the urinal to yeah. pee or the, yeah, to the, to the urinal to pee, and then like, but then his line, he's like, it's like, this is gonna go down hard, sw- like, you're gonna have to swallow this hard, or something yeah. like that, like, oh, that's so, Well, but that's the, so that gross. whole bathroom scene is like, Cavill's like, thinking he's gonna get his next assignment, right? and then like, he turns, and, and Army Hammer's there, yeah. and they immediately just start brawling with each other, yeah. until it's kind of revealed that like, oh, wait, no, it's like, we're both, we're like... And it's so cartoonishly masculine. Yes. It's just really funny. And then like even like the the scene where they're all at dinner and they're explaining it, and then just, again, little great moments where they're like, I'll get you two to get acquainted with each other, and then the entire restaurant like stands yeah, up it's, and like yeah. leaves. <laughs> there's just like, there's those little fun moments, and it's like, again, when like the movie just peppers them out, and it just does it enough throughout the entire movie that... It's just like it keeps you engaged. It does keep you kind of in that tone for most of it. Yeah, it, it, it and it does. And I think it's mostly effective because I, because I honestly, when I was watching it, it, and this is why I say it came up short because I can't say that it it doesn't back up or have the material in it to sell certain character dynamics. Yeah. Like, you get the Alicia Vikander-Army Hammer relationship. Like, that works in the movie, mm-hmm. and you get it. You also buy that these two have become partners and friends enough. Like, I, I feel like you do buy that. But the reason I feel like it comes short is because it's almost written and directed in a way where it's showing most of its cards, but still kind of playing it as, like, a joke, like an inside joke that they yeah. forgot to tell you. Like, they're... It's it's a very uneven in terms of following up on like plot points and really exploring different things to make the movie uh, all like well fleshed out. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of very like kind of specific 
points to mention in that there's like because there's like very weird my and i don't know if it's like an like this is um, one of the few movies that we watch where my editor brain turned on and yeah. in, in, in where there were just things like wait like so did they introduce that character already or like or it's like wait they, they introduced that character but did they ever say who this guy was so for instance like for like we have Hugh Grant's character who's Hugh Granting all throughout the movie yeah uh who's great and so they introduce him earlier in the movie because uh, Solo steals his invitation right but so when they introduce him do we know that he is from British intelligence no so then he just shows up later in the movie yes so I'm like did we miss it? Like, I felt like I had like fell asleep during a scene. Like, did we miss the scene like, or is it, that the reveal? Right. Like, I think that's supposed to be the reveal. I think there might've been like a hint that there's more, but I, right. But, but that movie kind of plays that a lot where it's like, they, they do the thing where a lot of the, maybe like, and this is obviously intentional, but they do the thing where like, they show you bits of a scene and then they basically replay it once they start explaining, well, here's what actually sure, happened. Sure. And it's kind of like, does that a couple times. Yeah. And, uh, but it kind of, it, that's kind of the movie it is where it's just like, there's kind of, it's kind of more on kind of the traditional spy trope of the twist and turns, right. like the double agents and like the, the double, double, you know, it's like kind of does that a little bit more than like, than really what Bond does. So it's like not but, really a trope we've really encountered. Like, cause the Bond movies don't really do that in terms of like usually they lay all their cards on the table like even like stuff like from Russia with Love like they kind of like okay you kind of know she's like the double agent like they really only do it in my mind they only do that sort of thing like with twists is like the bad CIA agent in Live and Let Die right, and then Miranda right. Frost and Die Another Day and I'm probably missing one or another, one or another well, but like <laughs> but like basically like, this is kind of what people you know a little bit more of like what the traditional spy tropes are, which is right. like, again, like whose side is everybody on who knows what? And then kind of those reveals and kind of stuff like that. But for me, it was like, it was just one of those things where there's little things like that. And then, so for instance, I would say the movie does the best job of really kind of hammering down, no pun intended, army hammers character. Yeah. And like, what's his deal? What's his motivation? What's his internal struggle going through? Mm-hmm. And frankly, doesn't really do anything with the solo character. No. Like in, they kinda... but in a very odd way because they give him such an elaborate backstory. Yes, yes. So that... they add this backstory that like he fought in World War Two. Yeah. And then he discovered that like stealing like art. He he was part of occupied forces in Germany, and then he became involved in the black market through his military connections. Right, and then he was found out, and then the CIA is basically like, "Well, your skills are too good to be in jail, so you're gonna join the CIA. So you either have to take this job in the CIA or for, go like, to jail. You basically you have to take a job in the CIA for the amount of your jail sentence, right. or go to jail for that right. time. Now, fine, fine enough backstory. I get really no sense at all how that plays into right. what he does because it, it kind of is like they they kind of play with it in the first scene when he like you know when, once he gets gabby out of the uh out of the uh, you know out, out of berlin yeah and he's kind of you know he's kind of like that wasn't you know he's like that wasn't part of the deal like right. that's sort of like uh went a little lando there right um but but it's like he's but, not like, wrong solo but, it, but even uh, like but plot wise and character wise because like He's always seemingly on the up and up, yeah. like throughout the entire movie, right. and then also plot wise, other than like a little thread at the beginning, like it, there's a right. Moment- it's, like, it's that little. It's like I said. It's that little thread where he's arguing with like his M equivalent, the Jared yeah. Harris character, like like about like his servitude and stuff like that. And then it feels it does feel like that kind of thing is kind of more dropped for just the suave 
solo character. Right. And like there's a there's a huge missed opportunity, and I think it's why it's in the movie, but why they don't do more with it, I, I think is kind of baffling. Is like he has the moment with the uh with the the in the torture uh chamber yeah. with that guy. Um yes. and there's this whole he, the the this guy has this whole speech which is very like in my opinion maybe like the first big mistake of the movie is like I know we've been introduced to this villain but I haven't been invested in him nearly enough to learn his whole backstory of how he became enamored with torture. Yeah. Like it's just like like right. he was going through it I'm like I I don't care but the closest I think the point to it was was because he has this whole thing about how he was like so interested in like torture, but the thing that afforded him the, the ability to delve into the art of torture was through like war when the war happened, implying that like he was he like sided he was on the side of like the Nazis. I think is the yeah, implication yeah, no, no, of that. Yeah, he he like did a lot of torture for the Nazis. Right, yeah. and it's the whole thing about how like oh like isn't it funny like how you can you know profit off of like you know such such tragedy. And I'm like, oh, that's like a neat connection because we learned that this character, like that's Solo's like, character, yeah. uh, profited off of, you know, being in a post-war occupied Germany. Yeah. And I just thought it was weird that like, okay, so I, I can see that connection, but the fa- but they don't do anything. No. And so and it was like kind of like a baffling like you, you, oversight. You're completely right because like the Army Hammer character, like they really emphasize because his whole backstory is that basically like his father and his family were like, you know, kind of a high ranking Russian family. And then basically, like, you know, post war revolution happened and, you know, his family lost his status. His father went crazy and went to, you know, it got, got, got shipped to Siberia. And basically, like, then, then, then Ilya is basically like has these like manic episodes and like, you know, can't control his anger right. and becomes involved with the KGB because of that. And like, there's kind of the whole thing is that, like, as, as, as a uh, as uh, solo implies that basically like he he feels he doesn't want to really feel the shame that his father has brought on the family and he kind of bottles that up and but with that like his whole thing is because he's the closed off character you know you have the um Elijah Vikander kind of opens him up solo kind of gets through to him a little bit and you kind of have this kind of arc of this story because he's also the other part of his character kind of the humor is that he's like the biggest man like he's like the biggest strongest guy and for this mission, he has to play like an architect who can't fight back. And, right. Like, he's like struggling so much because it's like so not him. Right. And like to kind of open up his shell and kind of come out in that way is kind of a major part of his character. And I feel like the problem with the solo character is he's just like the way they write him. He's just solo. Again, this is kind of very consistent with the from what I understand of the, of the Napoleon solo character in general. But he has he's so calm, so smooth. So just like, you know, quick to a wit, like kind of that kind of womanizer type, you know, kind of quick to flirt, easily like can steal things like just so smooth in everything he does. There's not really an opportunity like they never really give an opportunity to really express his flaws. I yes. Guess. Like, yes, he does. He's a little bit cock like cocksure when like he opens up the vault and there's like oh this model doesn't have an alarm and of course they like add it to alarm the thing but it never really comes to a consequence because even within that whole scene so at one point like you know they break into this factory to try to get like you know the whatever the the thing for the nuke or kind of discover where they're maybe hiding this guy and they go through the thing and then again there's a lot of fun banter where it's like you know you know uh cavill's like huddling through the fence with the plot i want to make it perfectly clear 
the character itself is thoroughly entertaining yeah. from beginning oh, to end of the film. But it's like, like, you know, so like, I, I don't want solo... no, uh, no shot at the character itself. Yeah. So I, because the thing is like, because Solo like cuts it through the pliers and then like Army Hammer actually has the, um, the like the laser. The laser like, it was funny because he's like, it, it's like, it's a laser cut steel. And then like, he's like, well, this is the laser. Yeah. <laughs> like, like little things like that. Right. And then really like, really you know, and then they get into the, the factory and, and, Army Hammer, because early in the movie his watch was stolen, right? Because like again, like he couldn't fight back when they stole his watch. Because then Cavill's like, "Hey, like, like they're gonna see your KGB if you fight back." So then he like knocks out a guy with just like his head, yeah, like, his hand, like a karate chop. He's like, like he just stands up, like it'll be that for about twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they kind of discover the thing. So they get to the vault. You know, the alarm sounds off. They grab the thing that's in the vault and like run off in this boat. And then like Cavill's gonna leave him because Cavill has the exit out. And then, of course, they do the thing where it's like, well, no, I got to go back for, for my buddy now. And I, I guess, like, that's kind of they're trying to do, like, oh, this guy is such a loner and would, like, turn on his friends because he's, like, he's not a good guy. He stole the stuff in the war. And then he goes back. But, again, the movie never really emphasizes that part of the character. The, that part of the character that emphasizes the backstory is that he was this criminal. Oh, they, I taken- think they moments like that sell – the budding friendship between oh, they, they the two. They do, yes. They, they, it's that completely sells because it's a, it's a great scene too. Because Guy does this a couple times, and he does this in other movies too. But Guy is like a master at like showing you something in the foreground while crazy shit is happening in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's really good at that. So this whole scene is like Cavill like gets out of the boat and he like finds this truck and there's like a sandwich. He turns on the radio, plays some classical music, like starts eating the sandwich while in the background like Army Hammer is being chased by all these like kind of the Nazi factory workers and stuff like that. And like, there's big explosions and gunshots. And then again, you see Cavill driving away. And then like, he has that moment of pause where he's like, man, I can't leave him out there. And again, I think it really sells that relationship. But again, which is kind of that main aspect of the movie, but it also kind of really doesn't really relate to kind of an arc for solo. And, and solo really just remains that same suave, cool character Throughout the entire movie, and again, the movie doesn't really get a chance to showcase like a a flawed side of him. It, it just, just it, it doesn't make sense to me when the bad guys of your movie are literally like remnants of like the old war, and you know, in mm-hmm. or in have a hand in like you know the Nazis and everything, and that was essentially his backstory, uh, sort of like or at least yeah. uh, at least close enough, and like that to me should have been yeah. the conflict and I'm not saying like oh I'm not trying to retroactively put it in there I'm like this is the text of your yeah. movie I, I don't but understand I think the other why thing, you're not like, doing when, anything when you, with when it. you talk about the villains as well I think the other thing is that like the villains they you know they have their like own little quirks but at the end of the day they are kind of still background material There's, like even like the Nazi thing it's kind of like a thing that's kind of established in like the backstory but it's never like other than our torture guy, like right. you know, Elizabeth, the Vicky's character, like never really is like showcases anything that really says she's a Nazi. Yeah, there's never the moment when they're just like they pull off their like they're on the boat and now they're in like you know Nazi uniforms. Or there's like, like no SWAT. Like, yeah, just, but basically like Elizabeth to Becky could have just been like oh an opportunist businesswoman who's just selling a new. Yeah, but I. I will defend that element. I liked having that context in there. I think, and it, I think added it's just a context, level. but it's, 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 what I'm saying is like it doesn't help when yeah. that's not being emphasized. Sure, either. sure, sure. That like in terms of like connecting that to Solo, which again is I think is an interesting point, and I think definitely could have added something to that character. You're not really emphasizing that within those characters. They no. do just kind of become no. generic black market bad guys. And 
the other thing hopping off of that is just speaking of kind of like weirdly dropped ball like plot elements is like you you spend so much time in this movie developing this budding um and, and kudos to them that they never seemingly go like full on like romance with it but this kind of like you know early Han Solo Leia relationship between you know Ilya and Gabby yeah, yeah. Uh, so you spent all this time doing that. Mm-hmm. Then later on in the movie, you do something that I have very mixed feelings about. And not for any, it's just like for plot wise, I'm like, oh God, where you're like, all right, you realize she was a British intelligence spy the yeah. whole time. Yeah. And which on one hand, I'm like, it's just kind of one of those things. Well, now I have to recontextualize this character through the whole thing. And, like you, you got me invested into this character right, and seemingly when, a normal when we person. Find her, she's she's a car mechanic in Berlin. Yeah, like and everybody that Cavill and as far as Cavill and Ilya, uh, yeah, as far as Cavill and Hammer understand their characters is that you know her father is this kind of scientist that used to work for the Nazis, but like what's kind of forced to work for the Nazis, then went to America, and now has been kidnapped. Like and that's her father. And then again, it's like kind of the whole thing where she's like, "Oh, like you know, my cousin kind of knows as a guy and stuff like that." Yeah. And then, and I and I guess I'm overselling it. It's not like she's like another super spy. I guess right. it was just picked up by British intelligence. But it's just one of those things where now I have to think back. I'm like, well, how much of all the development have we seen was real? Right. And like, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm because not again, a like huge the whole thing is that. that like uh, Ilya is kind of coming out of his shell because of her. Because right. Because like because the whole thing is that Gabby and and Ilya have to pose as fiancés for the sake right. of, of visiting you know uncle rudy or whatever right. it is and well it's just like when she's and, doing like she has great moments in this movie like the whole dancing bit i thought was really fun great. but it's like but then there's like again i i don't like it because then i have to think of like well like why is she doing is is, she, is that just her being her is that right her, part of the mission part of the mi- like, yeah. I, like because I they also i mean uh, they do again they do the thing where it's like you see like she gives them up and then you know you're kind of like Oh, it, is she like? Is she at like? Is she know, selling them out? Is, is she, she actually like a, selling them out? Is she actually like a part of the bad guy team? Is she like just do it? Like, is she going off her own to save her father? And then again, yeah, it's kind of revealed. Like Hugh Grant comes back and he's like, "Hey, by the way, Gabby, she's actually working for me, and I've lost her. So you need to kind yeah. of get her out." It's not a double cross; it's a triple cross because right. she double crossed you to double cross them. <laughs> right, and then, and then like again, like guy does this multiple times throughout the movie, but then like you see more of the scenes because it's like cuts the scenes where it's like, oh, she reveals. She gives him up, and then he's like on the run. But right. then it shows that like, oh, this is what she actually said. So he knew it's like I, I knew you'd be listening. So you have enough time to run and stuff like that. Right. So, but so you find out that that's where that's what her deal is. Yeah, and the movie gives like no closure on that, that relationship or that relationship yeah, or that's like very how true. that affects like every anything them like because so. then again that's what really opens the movie like wide open in terms of like once that happens that kind of really changes the entire dynamic of yeah the movie. and again i don't know if it's like an edit thing because like then maybe it's like there was a scene right because then that, it's but. like obviously they've been given up so then you have the fake fiance relationship never really comes to like you know a, a head really and no then, yeah and then like again cavill is kind of like you know he's like ah oh, she played us all like you know it's a kind of a right it's just again but, it, but it's also played in a way but it's like but she played us all, but she's part of the team. Played us all, like she's she's there for that. Yeah. And then it's yeah, also like, and then she's know, like, like, 
you know, she's kind of, again, this picked up spy, but now we do still have to kind of save her because she's like kind of trapped in this thing that she really can't get out of, even though she put herself there to find her father. So it's kind of like, is you know, and then like, again, Hugh Grant's like, well, you know, she's out there somewhere. I, I can't really find her. So you guys, that's not, now it's your new mission. Yeah. You, you have to go find her. It's just kind of like the end of this movie. Like, as oh, much I, rem- as I remember going into this movie, remembering vaguely that the third act was a problem. And yeah. I think I other- oversold that because it's not really a problem. It's just a victim to the momentum of yeah. the plot eventually just loses steam. Right, because it's yeah. also because then you have like the final little action sequence where like, you know, they eventually get to the island and kind of do the spicy sneaking around. And then it's also the thing where you kind of have this like last action sequence where, you know, like Army Hammer gets on the motorcycle and then like Cavill's like on this other car. And it's one of those things where, yes, it still has a little bit of this lightness, but it's also kind of like, it's kind of that moment where they're like, oh, but with the spy thing, so it kind of has to be a little bit more gritty in this one part. Like, right. where it's like, oh, like they crash and like there's a lot of blood and, and, you know, like Army Hammer's kind of knocked out for a little bit. And there's kind of like, it just loses a little bit of that tone for just that scene. It just kind of feels a little bit odd in that sense. You know, it's a movie where definitely the things that they build up to and close on work. So, like, when they get to that moment where Ilya has to get the order to kill Solo. And they have that moment at the end. It, it's like a nice moment, like a well-done moment right, between yeah. the two characters. Because, and- cause, yeah, because that's like the end of the movie after they've defeated all the villains. And there's basically the reveal, like, because it's all, all the information on how to make these like kind of synthetic nukes. It's like not the return, but it's like kind of like, again, yeah. it's like nukes. Like you don't have to get like the material for just like kind of synthetic. It's on this like disc. And there was like two copies of it. So basically like. The Russian leaders are like, listen, we've heard that the Americans got the other copy of the disc. You need to take it and kill him if necessary. Right. And then he kind of really struggles with that. And again, Hammer sells that moment beautifully. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just like, the, again, like kind of this anger that he has been, you know, it's still bottled up inside of him that he's kind of been able to kind of keep, you know, on the downside kind of comes up because now he doesn't want to kill like this guy. He somewhat still kind of has a like a rivalry with, but he kind of really respects so then it's like the same thing where they, they go in you know the room and he's like gonna do it and then like he decides not to but then Cavill's like hey, I got the same orders and you know it's just kind of destroy the team right and, yeah and, and and I think that was a good way of of ending that L- little nitpicky editor note is like I think it probably would have been it would have behooved them to make it a little bit more clear like that they like that they were burning the contents of, of the tape. The, the, yeah. yeah, it's just the mechanics of how that worked. I was yeah, unclear it's just of. like they yeah. needed to show a thing of like them dropping it in. Yeah, some, like something like that. But so and and that was oh, but but going back, like so that works, but then when Ilya kills that one guy and it's built up as like he killed the bad guy. You know, the one yeah. guy that they're yeah. chasing down. I'm like Yeah, like the brother. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, yeah, because like, it's like, <laughs> like is, sure, he kills is it supposed like, to be like a reference know. that he like flirted with the girl earlier, right? But it's like, played so like with so much grit. I'm like, yeah, yeah. why is this? But so like, again, it's like that massive. one part of the movie where it feels like, oh, well, we need to do like the one gritty spy thing because like these are spies and they kill. You know what I mean? It's like kind of loses that tone. Yeah, for a bit. and 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 there was also a level of during this movie that I have to admit, and again, it worked because it was infectious enough and it was like all the energy was all there. 
But there there was a level of like a scene would happen and I wasn't 100% sure what we were doing plot wise there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like when they're at like the big like the 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 race yeah, and th- there was a little bit where I was kind of losing track of her. Like, all right, why are we here? What did we gain now that we're outside of the? Now that we're past this point, it, like, how is this fitting into the overall story? I would always get on a character level, right? Like, that's what really the point what it is. It like, 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 the movie is so focused on those characters, and again, it doesn't really always hit the home run with like making sure those characters have those arcs or, or really putting that out there but that's so in tune with just the little character moments yeah. the, the things that make you enjoy those characters that it really does like kind of lose the it plot. plays too loose with the plot it I does think. Yeah. yeah and, and the thing is like i think the plot is fine and, and streamlined enough but there is a little bit of getting caught up in the moment to moment and yeah. not it's just like when you play macro. loose with the plot that just allows you to that plot to untangle even further yes you know what i mean it's yeah. like when you have a agree. when you have a streamlined plot like that you do still got to make it tight because at the end of the day, like you're still leading up to something, and it just feels like that's really where it is. It's like the movie still has that enjoyable banter and enjoyable dynamic, but it just fails to kind of really lead up to like that moment at the end. It was pretty awesome when they just full on blew up Elizabeth Debicki, though. Oh, that 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 scene is really good though, where Solo's like, because Solo is basically like, well, they've they've gotten away. So the whole thing is like they there's like they built two palms, and the whole thing is like. They're, the bombs are coupled together. One is the real synthetic bomb, and the other is this non-nuclear bomb, kind of a decoy bomb. And so the, our heroes accidentally take the decoy bomb, and then they're off and going with the bomb. And then Cavill's basically like, she's on, she's got to be on this boat because there's like there's pictures of it all around like her place. And you know if we can get a radio signal, we can kind of do that. And then again, they kind of do the thing where like there's teasing like, oh here's what it is, and then they kind of reveal back. But basically. You know, Cavill kind of baits her out by telling him like how her brother died and like kind of just keeping her on on the line to like basically like and like uh, to Becky's like I'm gonna kill you I'm gonna kill your whole family you know she does like the whole like I want his family dead I want his dog dead like that whole thing yeah, yeah. from the Untouchables um, but then like Cavill reveals like hey while you were talking we were able to get to your radio signal and she's like well, oh he, he, what was the line he's like while you were too, while you were busy telling me how dangerous you are yeah. <laughs> like just little things like right. that are yeah great. but it's just like basically like we were able to track your location it's like well it's they it, you know you can't get here and like we're gonna be gone in five minutes like yeah but we do have the other bomb and we're like gonna like shoot it right at you and then it's again all the people stepping off her boat it's just like those effectively looks up said i hope i hope that how's that for entertainment <laughs> and then boom like just and I love how like they could just unceremoniously just get away with just like no no due process just because she's a Nazi yeah. oh like allegedly like just just blow her up yeah um so I like that uh and, and I, I to speak on it a little bit I don't know if they one hundred percent handled the the tone of Elizabeth Debicki that well but I liked it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'll say about it. Yeah. Like, because she's technically not too foreign from this movie. I just think she may be the one who's like the most off the rails a little bit. But little bit, yeah. I liked it is is yeah. what I would say. And like her interplay, like like her interplay with Henry Cavill. So when they pay off stuff like that with that, yeah. it's like fun. And it's like, it's satisfying. Um, So yeah, I like I, I, I did like all that. Um I so. did think that again the movie sells kind of our characters being spies and picking up on things. Like even if they do kind of the spy things of like, yeah, they like yeah, Solo gets like kind of poisoned at one point and, and 
you know, it's like kind of Ilya kind of risks like getting caught because he's so aggressive. Like there's like things like where, like that scene where he does get poisoned. Like I did kind of like solo like it's like I've been in this spot before. I just need to like lie down so I don't hit my head on anything. Right. Yeah. I but thought like that was great. during that scene, he's still trying to pick up things that you kind of hint at later where it's like okay he found out like he's looking at the pictures so he knows like she has to be on this boat because it was her father's boat because it's in all the pictures right. and stuff like that and i think they do a good job of that i i also i will my 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 one last kind of nitpick would be that i do think that it would have been in the movie's best interest to have at least just one kind of straightforward these two guys are getting along moment moment because i i get it like Ilya came to rescue him and they're obviously getting along there but I, I just felt there was like too much of like that's implied yeah. where I think like, like even at the end it's like they do like the whole like I, I hate you peril and yeah. it's like yeah but I feel like I, I, something like that's not just the last scene of the movie right yeah is what it's I like because yeah. it's like they drink like and like you know Ilya calls calls uh, solo cowboy so there's that kind of that but even that like they still kind of have like I hate you but they I actually love you type of thing but right, yeah like right. a little bit more of like and them actually teaming up especially in that last sequence would have been yeah been fun um. I, I didn't really have any other other follow ups. Uh, I think about there's it. one yeah. more scene we gotta mention. It's one of the I find it's it's one of the, again perfect example of how to do foreground and background. Oh work. yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you're gonna talk the, about. The yeah. glitch scene. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, like Cavill, yeah, is, is like this Nazi torture is gonna basically like electrocute him to death, and then like, but the electrocution, like, there's like a loose wire somewhere, and it's like you know he's old fashioned, so like he hasn't like upgraded to modern equipment. So then basically, like, the equipment fails again. He's like, you know, that's fine, whatever. We're going to just go ahead and, uh, you know, do it the old, like, old, even more old-fashioned way. I'm just going to, like, kind of stab you or something like that. And right. Then, and then um, Army Hammer comes in and, like, Solo's being like, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I, I, I can't. I'm so happy you're here. So then they tie the Nazi torture up to the chair and basically, like, he's immediately like, I'll give you all the information. Like, this right. is where they are and all that sort of stuff. Then they go off in the other room, and they're basically like debating, like, what do we do with this? And, and we should also mention there's a running gag where, because it's so low tech, there's electrical issues right, where yeah, he again, has to keep on rewiring. Right. So, like, so again, he calls it the works. glitch, where yeah. it's like, you know, they start torturing him a little bit, but then they try to do it again, and it's like not working. It shorts out. So yeah. it's basically, they're like, they go in the other room, and they're basically debating, well, we could kill this guy, or we could kind of bring him in and get more information on him, but we run the risk of him actually joining us because, like, you know, because the guy won't stop talking, and, like, there's that kind of annoying thing. Meanwhile, in the background, you kind of see that the glitch has kind of fixed itself, and the guy is just completely getting obliterated oh, by yeah, his electrocution. Oh, yeah, he, uh, he, he basically gets engulfed in an electrical fire, yeah. and then it's just, like, that slow, like, they're talking while that's happening, and then they turn back, and it's like the music is playing, and then it's solo is just like, damn, left my jacket in there. <laughs> it's a perfect solo line. And there's so many of those like little solos. Yes. And yeah. like that's the thing that we talked about the performances, and I do want to emphasize that like like again, whether what the material gives them, Cavill plays those lines so perfectly yeah. well. It's just so smooth, smug, and like so sure of himself that it's again so charming. And then again, like Army Hammer is kind of more deadpan nature. Like, um like I really like the other scene is like we, we kind of mentioned it where like the one where um, Ilya has to pick out clothes for his fiance. Oh, that's a great moment. It's a great scene because one, it's just like again, like yeah, Ilya's a little controlling, but he's like, well, I gotta dress her like my fiance, someone like I, like as a Russian architect would dress her. And then Cavill just like kind of wants to make an argument, and he's like, that belt's not gonna match, and it's like. 
that belt does not have to. Oh, mesh. It, well, it's just that these two grown men are just like having this like this argument about like you know uh, yeah. about fashion. And I did it, feel it's like funny. of all the things like reference and like and mention that like that like the '83 movie having Ilya as as a fashion like designer. Like in his like new civilian role and kind of even bringing that in, I just thought like again, it kind of shows you that there is like a fandom right. to this to this series. So yeah, overall, yeah, yeah. yes. I mean, for me, overall, it, it, it's it, I think it's uh, it, it's still a breezy gem of a movie. I think yeah. it's it's oh, very yeah. easy, fun watch. Um, again, I think it, it loses it loses some steam in the overall picture as it goes on, but I I think that the the style of it works. I think Guy Ritchie's style works just enough in it. Um, I think the the two actors bring it um, to bring the uh, through the performances bring the movie to life. Uh, I think it's funny. It's a funny movie. Yeah. I think uh, it's infectious in some of what it worked for me. Is yeah. is what I would say for the I, it's most. It's definitely part. a fun watch. It's yeah. not. I definitely not as perfect as some of the other things we we will see. Yeah. Like in our kind of post Bond world. But I do think, like again, the lead performances, and I I would put like all three of the lead performances of Hammer, Cavill, and of Kander, I think are all really fun, and they play off each other very well. And I think that alone is worth watching this movie for, because I think it's just it's just again, though both all three of those performances, and when they're bouncing off each other and they're playing all these stupid humor and these silly jokes. Is just fun, and I think you have like a fun, you know, a couple like a uh, fun action sequence at the beginning with the car chase, but I just a lot of kind of fun little spy stuff, and I, I do think it's definitely like worth of like even a like a little bit of a background watch, but I think like just kind of taking in, I, I really think it's worth it just for the performances. I think that's yeah. kind of the most fun part of the movie. And then who's Harrison Ford in the movie? Um, I don't want to forget it this time. Yeah, yeah, no, we, we got to do it right away here. Um, I imagine he could be like. D- definitely like easy one would be another guest at like kind of that that pre-race party i would say just screw it bring him in as jb <laughs> <laughs> since everybody's no, doing no, exotic no. accents in this right. yeah or like again just do like the whole like he's a jr and he's like you yeah know, they, they, they go in for analysis because he's like you know yeah person. i think he's like some sort of like like uh, uh another like another patron another, of the of the of the race or whatever yeah, yeah and of course they they, they end the movie with by the way they end the movie with the whole we got a new we got a new team for you it's called uh uncle yeah and it's like oh okay yeah well i guess they they would need the well no i guess they already had the american counterpart never mind all right so uh aftermath let's wrap this up all right so man from uncle did okay worldwide at the box office um Made uh fifty four million at the North American box office on a seventy five million dollar budget, but its international take boosted up to about a hundred and eight million worldwide. So, a uh, successful movie, not as high, uh, you know, as one would hope, um, but it did very, very well, you know, for what it was. Um, in the you know in the critic world, it was mixed reviews. Basically, for what we said, that the uh, the charisma of the stars the the dialogue and kind of the the like some of the action set pieces uh kind of boosted up a movie that had a kind of unremarkable like storyline and, mm. and just kind of a a, a kind of st- a story that kind of lost momentum um but basically the movie does have a little bit of kind of a cultish following um there is again a lot of love for the performances of Cavill and uh Army Hammer 
And again, there is a shipper community for this movie. I have witnessed that firsthand. <laughs> um, but there is kind of a a lot of people who kind of say this is a little bit of a gem and 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 definitely kind of worth checking out. Yeah. But pretty much that's kind of it. And um, there was never really any. Obviously, the movie took years to get greenlit. Obviously, if it would have been successful, possibilities of a sequel with the actual you know them as part of Uncle. Uh, but no plans for a sequel were really ever set in stone. It was basically like we made this movie. We're just gonna see how it goes. So, well, um, yeah, and we'll see. Give it a watch. The, the future of the, you know, if they do ever do anything with it, I feel like this could be something that, you know, maybe will pop up. I would, I would not be surprised if at some point, like a streaming service kind of picks it up as like a rebooted TV series. Yeah. At some point, Amazon original right next to the Jack Ryan series. Well, I mean, they, they, they might get Alex Cross, so you really have like a whole world yeah. that could be the prequel, you know, all to all those kind of Jack Ryan's and Alex Crosses and whatever that one that uh, the other guy plays. Um, what? The the man in black from Lost, like he plays like that other cop. Oh, Bosch. Bosch. Yes. <laughs> Titus, Titus Welliver. Titus Welliver. There we go. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, well, yeah. Give it a watch. All that right, it was yeah. fun. It was fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, that wraps it up for, for this week's, this week's uh, episode. Bond episode. Uh, are we at liberty to say what we're doing for our next Bond-related episode? Yes. So. Oh my God! Just say it. Like, all right. Like, like come on. Okay. <laughs> People who have listened to the Bondzilla podcast for a long time know that this host right here is a big fan of one Timothy Dalton. And I was going back to our episode, uh, our Christmas special episode, and how I wanted to give Timothy, Timothy Dalton the gift of respect, right? Well, I'm going to make next month, March, I'm going to make it an unofficial, official, Bonzilla Timothy Dalton Appreciation Month. Mm -hmm. And what better way to appreciate Timothy Dalton than watching his most notable pre-Bond film, Will. Are you ready to listen to some Queen because we're going to take a look at Flash Gordon. Wow. That's not... I, I thought we were... Okay. All right. Interesting. Let's do it. I'm, I'm thinking this is going to be a... a, that's, a that, that's that's out there. I, yeah. I, I did not I, expect listen, that as a choice. Listen, I want to do something a little bit more similar to like our Darby O'Gill where we kind of take a look, look at something completely different sure. for, for an actor that we that we like. So, oh, okay. All right. Uh, we're going right. to take a look at that. Well, I, 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 that'll be my first time seeing it. So Mine too. Bring it on. Mine too. Bring it on. Um, cool. Well, next, we, next time is in a uh, Bond episode. It's a Godzilla episode in which we will be stepping outside of Toho and looking at one of Godzilla's unofficial rivals in the form of the giant uh, fire-breathing turtle that is Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. I'm so looking forward to this. Yeah, that, I am very eager one. to kind of take my my giant turtle uh, and, and see what he's like. All right, uh, so that's it. We're done. I'm done. You're done. Uh, plug away. All right, you got uh, bonzillapod at gmail.com if you want to give us an email. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash bonzilla007, facebook.com slash bonzilla007, like and subscribe, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thank you all for listening up to these episodes. We always appreciate it. And don't be afraid to leave us a comment or a... another comment. <laughs> all right. Well, until next time, I'm Will. And I'm Nick. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>